You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Well, last week, Pastor David noted that this is Paul's final letter, the final letter that we have from the Apostle Paul, and it's written to his young protege, Timothy, before, while Paul is in prison, but before he's executed. Now, Paul has a hope. He has a hope that Timothy uh, will be able to come visit him. He, he notes this at the end of the letter when he says, I hope you come. Make sure you bring the books. I need my books. Bring the books, Timothy. Don't forget the books. So, he wants Paul to come see him, but he's not sure that that's actually going to happen. There's no assurances. And so, these may be the very last words that Paul ever says to his spiritual son, Timothy. So, there's that deeply personal quality to the letter. There's a, there's a fatherly quality to Paul's words. And that fatherly care is going to be evident all throughout the letter, and so it's something that we're probably going to highlight again and again as pastors as we preach. And in this opening chapter, I really want to zero in on that fatherly character. I see it in subtle ways. I see it in very overt ways in this chapter. And what I want for us is, here's how I want you to listen. Um, There are some of you in this church, on this video, outside, who are in that fatherly or motherly role. So, Paul's father, this is father to son for Paul, but I think principally we can draw out of that and we can apply it mother to son, mother to daughter, father to daughter, that's all well and good. And So, there's some of you that are in that role, and I want you to listen and hear the kind of care, fatherly care, that Paul has for Timothy. There's others of you who don't have children or anything like that. There's some college students here. And the same kind of care that Paul has here, father to son, is possible, might look a little different, peer-to-peer, roommates, friends. The same sorts of things that he's doing can be present there. And so, as I walk through, I've got four things that I see in this in this chapter about the way that Paul orients to his son and what he does to encourage and care for him. So, I just want you to listen for it, and then I want you to go from here, and I want you to do it. I want you to do it. I want you to be, I want our families to be marked by this. I want our church to be marked by this. That's the goal for the sermon. So, I'm going to walk through these four things that I see in this passage about the way that Paul cares for Timothy. Number one, Paul cares for Timothy through his constant prayers. This one's big. He says, night and day, day and night, Paul prays for Timothy. Like many saints throughout history, Paul likely engaged in morning and evening prayers, morning and evening devotion, setting aside concerted, devoted time to bringing praise to God, thanksgiving to God, and requests to God. And in those morning times and in those evening times of prayer, Timothy was regularly in his heart and on his lips. He's regularly in his heart and on his lips. And I just wonder right there, are there people who are in your heart, but maybe they're not on your lips? I have people like that. I have people that if you ask me, do you care for them? Is there deep affection for them? Do you carry them in your heart? Okay, yes. How often are they on your lips? 
to God. How often do that, does that heart, that affection for that person, whoever it is, how often does that affection move from the heart to the lips to God so that you could say, like Paul, day and night, I'm remembering you in my prayers. And these are specific prayers. There's, he highlights a specific kind of prayer. I thank God whom I serve when I remember you. Paul wants Timothy to know that he prays regularly, constantly, and persistently, but these aren't mainly, or at least they're not first, prayers for all the things that Timothy needs to change. Timothy, I just want you to know I regularly pray for you that you would get your act together. I I pray for you, Timothy, because you've got lots of sins, lots of shortcomings, and I want God to, you know, get on that. No. Paul wants Timothy to know that he prays for him with deep and profound gratitude. And I'll just say, this is something for, for me as a parent, is a good reminder for me this week as I was preparing. Because as parents, we pray for our children. We, we pray for the challenges they face. We pray for the struggles that they have. We pray that God would help them to overcome the sins that we see in their lives and that they would have a living faith in Jesus. And all of these are good prayers. And it's good for our children to know that we pray those good prayers for them. But isn't there a different quality to those prayers about struggles and challenges and sins if they are bracketed and enveloped by prayers of thanksgiving and gratitude to God for them? Doesn't that give the prayers for whatever changes we think need to be made? Doesn't that give a quality, qualitative difference if it's a, I thank God, like I am profoundly grateful, I thank God that I am Sam's dad and Peter's dad and Jack's dad. I thank God for that. And I want to say that to God. And then I want all the other prayers that I pray for my boys to emerge from that deep heart of gratitude for them. And so whether it's with your children, your spouse, friends, roommates, Is there something different about prayers for other people when those prayers emerge from a heart of spoken and specific gratitude? Spoken and specific, not generic, not latent, not just hanging around in the background, but the kind of of heart that says, God, I thank you for this and for that and for this and for that. And now, Lord, I want you to help them and encourage them and challenge them and whatever the other things that you're going to pray but we begin and are marked by thanksgiving. Paul's prayers began that way, and he wanted Timothy to know it, and that's how he cared for him. Number two, Paul cares for Timothy by communicating his desire for Timothy's presence, okay? He longs to see Timothy face to face, and he highlights in doing so the depth of their relationship. Tears when they're apart, joy when they are together. Now, my, uh, we travel to Texas. We're originally from Texas. We have family there still in Texas. We travel to Texas regularly. Um, sometimes our family comes and visits us, and it's a good bet that when we arrive, like when we first get there, and we have that first kind of encounter, I can just tell you that my kids with my, uh, my in-laws or with their cousins, like, they are filled with joy. There's an expectation and anticipation, and when they get there, man, it is like a party, in those first moments, the joy just fills. And that also means that when we leave, when the van's loaded 
and we're pulling out of that driveway, it's a good bet, and we're waving goodbye to the grandparents and to the cousins, it's a good bet there are going to be tears. And, and my wife and I are very clear on this with our boys. We say, hey, those are good tears. Those are really, really good tears. Those tears, just like the joy and laughter when we got here, those tears are a sign of something. They're a sign of deep love and affection. And how beautiful is that? That's the kind of relationship Paul has with Timothy. And he says, I remember, Timothy, when it was like, hey, I'm getting on the boat. I've got a missionary journey. You're staying behind here in Ephesus. I remember, Timothy, I saw your eyes. I saw the tears, and when I think about those tears, man, I want to see you again. And, and when I do, I know I am going to be filled with joy, which is why twice at the end of the letter he says, hurry and come. I can't wait to see you. That's a fatherly care for a spiritual son right there. I just want to see you. I just want to be with you. I want to be in your presence, Timothy. It would make my heart sore to be with you, Timothy. What a thing for a father to say. So again, for us, is that there in our hearts? And do we say it? Do we communicate to others, when you're not here, I miss you. When you are here, I am filled with joy and I can't wait to see you again. Number three, Paul cares for Timothy. He encourages Timothy by showing an awareness of Timothy's weaknesses and temptations. Now, there's a little bit of reading between the lines here. So I'm just flagging it. This is reading between the lines, which means it's more speculative than some of the more obvious things. We don't know if Timothy was a somewhat timid person. Sometimes you'll hear pastors just say that. Timothy must have been timid. And it's like, well, we don't actually know that. But this is the kind of passage that they would point to, to say Timothy seems like he might have been on the timid side. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But Paul's exhortation to him, at the very least, demonstrates Paul's assessment of the temptations and pressures that Timothy may be facing in ministry. Whatever his personal constitution is, these are the kind of temptations Timothy will face in ministry. We see it in a couple of ways. Number first, there is a repeated theme of being ashamed. Paul tells Timothy, not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Verse 8. Later, he says that Paul himself is not ashamed of Jesus and of the gospel. And, and then finally, uh, he highlights Onesiphorus, a Christian who was not ashamed of Paul's chains, unlike others who had abandoned Paul, and thus sought to find him and refresh him in the Lord. And so that focus, three times in this chapter, that focus of not being ashamed suggests to me that Paul is concerned that Timothy might be. He might be. Paul's in prison. There, there might be uh, certain kinds of pressures on Timothy to distance himself from Paul. We see it perhaps even more in Paul's statement that God did not give us a spirit of fear. Literally, it's the, the word, it's not the fear like holy reverence, that kind of fear. It's a different word. It's cowardice. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. And together, these suggest that there might have been pressure for Timothy to distance himself from Paul. 
perhaps because of his imprisonment. He highlights, he wasn't ashamed, Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed of my chains. You shouldn't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Those are the kind of subtle things that are saying, hey, and, and it's easy to imagine, right? Paul's in hot water, right? And there might be voices in the church that are like, hey, Timothy, I think that we just got to put a little bit of distance between us and Paul. If we don't, we might end up like him. You don't want to go to jail, do you? Come on, just, just do it. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm, I know this. I see it. I've been around the block a time or two. I know that there might be pressure there. And Timothy, I just want to say to you, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus and don't be ashamed of me. Paul, therefore, is aware of the potential temptations and pressures that Timothy is facing and speaks directly to it. And therefore, he's caring for his spiritual son by being aware of those temptations. Number four, and this one will take a little bit longer, final way that Paul cares for Timothy is how he addresses that possible temptation. I think the bulk of this passage is that, that temptation that pressure to be ashamed, to be afraid, to not speak up, that cowardice, all of that I think is lurking in the background and a bunch of things in this chapter are Paul's way of saying, hey, hey, I see it. I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to encourage you in this season of pressure. Now, originally I planned planned to break these out. Paul cares for Timothy through examples, exhortations, reminders, and responsibility. Say those again. He cares for him through examples, exhortations, reminders, responsibility. And I was going to do each one of those as a separate one, and I was going to have seven points. But as I started to do it, they're all jumbled up, and so there was no good way to pull the threads out, so I'm just going to treat them all together. Let's start with examples. That Those final four verses, from verse 15 to 18, contain both negative and positive examples that Paul is holding up to Timothy for emulation. On the one hand, he says, everyone in Asia, which is pretty crazy, right? Like, like every, everyone in Asia? I mean, he means Turkey, okay? When, when Paul's talking about Asia, he means Turkey, Asia Minor. Everyone in Asia abandoned me. When it got hot and heavy, they just said, forget it, we're out. We don't even know that guy. Should sound familiar. There was someone else who had that happen to them when the authorities showed up, right? And Paul says, everyone abandoned me. And then he names two people, Phygelus and Hermogenes. And I suspect he names them because it's shocking that these guys walked away. it's, It's likely that these were co-workers in the gospel, partners in ministry. They were guys who were on the ground with Paul doing the mission. And then when it got hot and heavy, they said, we don't know him, we're out. We're underground. We abandoned him. And Paul wants Timothy to say, hey, here's two guys who were ashamed of me. And they were ashamed of the Lord when it got, when the persecution came. On the other hand, Onesiphorus not only stuck by Paul, but diligently searched for him in Rome in order to encourage and refresh him. Like, he went looking for the guy in prison. Right? He wasn't just kind of caught with Paul and said, well, I guess I'm here. It was, hey, where's Paul? I'm going to diligently search which prison is he in, which jail cell. I'm going to find him and say, he's my brother. I'm with him. 
He didn't run from persecution and suffering, but ran towards it because he wanted to love Paul. And I think these examples are meant to embolden Timothy. Be like an Esiphorus. Don't run from the imprisoned apostle and the gospel of Jesus. Don't be like those who turn away from Christ's heralds in their moment of need. Paul cares for Timothy by holding up examples worth imitating and avoiding. Now, notice the way that Paul weaves exhortations and reminders together, okay? So, one, three to five. Okay, this is all about memory. Like four different times remembrance is brought up. I remember you in my prayers. I remember you, your tears. I am reminded of your sincere faith. And then, in light of all of Paul's remembrance, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And then he gives a reminder. So, there's an exhortation, fan into flame the gift of God, and a reminder, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And this is meant to encourage Timothy and us in a number of ways. First, God's the ultimate source of Timothy's gifts and calling. God has called you to this ministry, Timothy. God has equipped you for this ministry, Timothy. That's, that Paul wants to say, it was the gift of God that put you where you are. Don't you forget that. And second, this gift and calling from God came through human hands. Paul, and if we're paying attention, 1 Timothy 4, the Ephesian elders, Paul mentions the laying on of hands there on Timothy, Paul and his elders laid hands on Timothy in order to appoint him to his task. There was a visible, tangible moment that represented Timothy's appointment to his ministry. And therefore, third, Timothy must steward that gift and that calling. And there's an implicit warning here. Timothy's perseverance in faithful ministry is not automatic. It's not. The fact that Paul laid his hands, it's possible that that flame could go out. It's possible that Timothy, out of shame at the gospel and to Paul, that that could go out. And Paul says, don't let that happen, Timothy. Fan it into flame. Blow on it. Get some oxygen on that fire. And God lit the spark. Now, blaze it up. And I'm going I'm to help you by reminding you, you remember when I stood over you and I laid my hand on your back and I said, God, be gracious to this man. You remember that, Timothy? Fan into flame that gift. And even though we may not have the same ministry as Timothy, these words apply to us too. Notice that Paul says God has not given us, not just Timothy. Timothy's not the only one who has a spirit of power, love, and self-control. God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. The spirit of the living God is resting upon Timothy for his ministry, and he's resting upon us for ours. And so like Timothy, we must actively cultivate that spiritual influence in our life. We should fan it into flame. One more note here about this, this combination of exhortation and reminder in the midst of this spiritual father encouraging his spiritual son. He reminds Timothy of the role played by his mother and his grandmother, his mammy. The Greek word for grandmother is mammy, which I just think is cool. So his, his mammy and his mama there's a generational faithfulness at work here, and Paul wants Timothy to remember it. 
He wants Timothy to know that he sees the family resemblance in the sincere faith that Timothy now has. Your grandmother had it. Your mother had it. And now you have it. That faith, he says, has taken up residence in you, Timothy. And I, I love what he does here, right? He says, um, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I just love this, I am sure dwells in you as well. Like, that's a subtle thing. But from a, for a father to a son, from an older man to a younger man to look at him and say, hey, 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 I see it. I'm sure of it. You don't have to wonder. You, are you, you wonder, is that faith, am I, am I real? Right? Young guys can, can wonder this. I've wondered this in my life. Is it real? And there's power when an older man says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, I see it. It's there. I'm sure of it. That's love. So fan it into flame, Timothy. Don't let the fire go out. And later in the letter, Paul is going to say, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. That's the sincere faith. Knowing from whom you learned it. Lois, Eunice, and Paul. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is where we see the beauty of the Christian church and the Christian family working together. Parents, we want to acquaint our children with the sacred writings, the Scriptures. We want to have a sincere faith in ourselves and then seek to instruct our children in that faith so that when they grow up, other Christians not related to us by blood can appeal to our faith in order to encourage their faith. Like, I want, when my boys are in college, I want people to be able to appear and say, hey, remember your dad's faith. He had it, you can have it too. Don't walk away because it was in your dad, it was in your mom, and it's in you too. That's what I want for my sons. How precious will it be when our children are grown and their spiritual mentors can point to us as their parents and say, remember the faith of your father. Remember the faith of your grandparents. Remember the faith of your uncles and your aunts. Continue in that faith because it dwells in you too. Another weaving of exhortation and reminder here. Okay, exhortation. Here it is. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and of me, but share in suffering for the gospel. In other words, here's the don't shrink back. Don't be a coward. Don't run from persecution. Embrace the suffering and then the reminder about who this God is and what He's done for us. And there's this carefully structured pairs. Okay, this is, here we are in verse 9. God saved us and called us to a holy calling. That's a pair. Not because of works, but because of His own purpose and grace. That's a pair. Given in Christ Jesus in eternity past, manifested in time through the appearing of our Savior, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, that, that's, it's, a, it's, a way, it's an easy way to remember it. Like, once I, once I got that there was a structure there, like, I was like, boom, got it memorized, right? Saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of His purpose and grace. Eternal grace in the past, manifested in time, abolished death, brought life and immortality through God. It helps you to remember it. Paul's like, I want you to remember it. <laughs> remember the good news. God saved you, Timothy. He called you. And it wasn't because anything you did. It's all grace. 
Your works didn't qualify you for your salvation, and it didn't qualify you for ministry. Yes, yes, it's a holy calling, but your holiness had nothing to do with you getting called to it. God's eternal purpose and grace is the source of your salvation and calling. And and I just want you to think about that phrase, before the ages began, right? There it is. Um, Which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. End of verse 9. Creation had a beginning. Time had a beginning. And yet there was a time before time. There's a time before time. Before God created the world, before He said, let there be light, before He called the universe into being from nothing, He had purposes and grace in mind for you. Specific ones. And that grace has now been revealed through Jesus. So before time, God gave grace. And in the fullness of time, the Word became flesh for us in our salvation to bring us that grace. And because He's brought us that grace, Christ has abolished death and He's brought life, immortality to us through the gospel. Therefore, Timothy, what do you have to be afraid of? What's left to make you afraid? What's left to make you ashamed? Borrow a phrase from Pastor Jonathan. Timothy, Timothy, Jesus is real. He's real. Paul is seeking to bring the reality of Jesus home to Timothy to encourage and strengthen his face. And this brings us to the way that Paul cares for Timothy by giving him responsibility. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me and guard the good deposit entrusted to you. As Paul is finishing his race, he is calling Timothy to rise to the challenge of his own race, to run his race faithfully. There's a passing of the baton happening right before our eyes. And Paul uses himself as an example here. So notice these parallels, okay? Verse 11, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Look at verse 6, you have the gift of God through the laying on of my hands. In other words, just as I was appointed to my ministry, so God through me has appointed you and equipped you for your ministry. Be like me. Number two, because I've been appointed a preacher of the gospel, I suffer as I do. Verse 12. Counterpart, share in suffering for the gospel. Verse 8. In other words, just as I suffer for the gospel in my ministry, so you should share in suffering for the gospel in your ministry. Verse 8, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Verse 12, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Verse 12, I am convinced that God is able to guard what has been entrusted to me. Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And this is the second time he said this. And at the end of his first letter to Timothy, if, you, if, you're, if you're looking in the, in the text, you look over a page, 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Just as Timothy is to follow the pattern of sounds words that he heard from Paul, so also he's to follow the example of Paul's life. But this this is important. This is where I want to end. This isn't just role modeling, okay? Role modeling is natural. Anybody can role model. Anybody, Anybody can be just an example. That's very natural. All human beings do it, and it's a good thing. 
But Paul wants to see that there is a supernatural element to this. So he goes beyond merely being an, be, goes beyond being an example, but highlights the spiritual and supernatural link between him and Timothy. It's that sharing in the suffering. Because Paul's in Rome, Timothy's in Ephesus, but they're sharing something. There's some kind of bond, some kind of connection between them that Paul thinks is real and substantive. Listen to the subtlety here. Okay, listen. Okay, I remind. Like, listen very carefully to this. this is, I think this is the. This was big. This is how this isn't just self-help. Be like Paul stuff. I remind you. Fan into flame the gift of God, for God gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Listen again. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Third, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That is, the power that comes from the Spirit that God has given us and which dwells in us. And so let me summarize it this way. Paul wants to encourage Timothy in a number of very practical ways, like grateful prayers, his desire to see him again, his awareness of the pressures and temptations of ministry, through examples that are good and bad, through exhortations, through reminders, through giving him responsibility. And Paul's way of encouragement should challenge us in these ways. Like, very simply, do you pray for people this way? You have relationships like this? You remind others of good examples and bad examples? Are you fanning into flame the gift of God in your life and encouraging others to do the same? Are you reminding people of the good news and what God has done from them? That's all very practical, but... Underneath all of these is the fundamental reality that the risen Lord Jesus, the one who abolished death and brought life through the gospel, is present to both Paul and to Timothy and to us through the Holy Spirit. Timothy can overcome his cowardice and fear because he has the spirit of power, love, and wisdom. The same spirit that has kept Paul for 30 years. He can share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He's able to guard the good deposit by the Holy Spirit within him. And don't miss this. This was super encouraging to me. Don't miss where Paul's ultimate confidence. It's hard. I got to think it's hard for Paul in prison going, all right, it's out of my hands. I have done literally everything I can, and it is entirely out of my hands. And he says, but is he worried? Like, all of this ministry, he's done everything he's dedicated his life to. Is it just going to fall apart? And he says, no. I'm confident he's going to keep it until that day. God's going to guard. I guarded it while I had it. It's out of my hands. God's going to have to guard it through your guarding of it, Timothy. And why is he so confident? I know whom I have believed. Not, you get this, not I know what I've believed. You get this? Not I know what I believed. That's true. Paul's got sound words all over the map. Like, I know what I believed. That's not what he says. I know whom I believed. Timothy, just hear me here, Timothy. I know I'm, in, I'm, I'm gone. You may be feeling a little bit nervous. What's going to happen next? I just want you to know, Timothy, I know him. I know him. 
He's going to keep you just like he kept me. I know him, Timothy. And that brings us to the table. This table is meant to fan and to flame the gift of God. It's meant to encourage us by reminding us of God's salvation and our holy calling, of God's eternal purpose and grace, which has now been revealed in Jesus who has abolished death and brought life to us. Those are all good and sound words, and we should follow their pattern. But those sound words point to a person. And at this table, we meet Him. At this table, we say, I know whom I have believed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, that's only true if the Spirit shows up. So I pray that He would. Here in this room, out on the lawn, on the video, I pray that He would show up. Would Your Spirit come and make Your presence real to us so that we pray like Paul, we encourage like Paul, we minister like Paul, and we trust when all is said and done and we can't do anything else because we're locked in a cell that we can say, I know whom I've believed, and He'll keep it. Dwell with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite the pastors to come. We've still got the same uh, small uh, packets, so we'll distribute those. You can just be be ready there like that, uh, and we will keep and do them all together. His body is the true bread. His blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.